We thank you, O God, that your mercies indeed are never-ending and that in the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation is brought to a fullness and completeness. We're thankful that mercy is found in him and in his accomplished work and his shed blood. As we've gathered as your people today, albeit differently than as per usual, we ask that in our homes and in our neighborhoods, in the places where we've gathered, that you would meet with us. We need you. So we ask this, O oh God, in Christ's name, amen. It's easy to compartmentalize life, to have and be someone at school that's different than at work, that's different than at home, that's different than at church, that's different than playing hockey or involved in your hobby, that's different than somewhere else. Now, Derek did an outstanding job a couple of weeks ago of talking about how that can look like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and how they're very intentional, different personas in which you live like Christ in one place and you live unlike Christ in another. But that's not exactly what I'm talking about this morning. This morning, I'm talking about the fact that so often when we gather as God's people, we're mindful of what it means to be God's people. When we gather intentionally in a community group, when we gather intentionally on a Sunday morning, it's very purposeful and mindful about what it means to be God's people. But then we leave this place or this online service and we engage in our regular everyday activities. We end up in our home and we end up with a complication or problem and we don't pause to pray about that problem. We end up at school and we find ourselves overwhelmed with whatever it is we're doing and we never pause to pray about what that looks like. We don't seek God's advice through the Word. We end up in a complication at work where something's difficult. Maybe there's tension or friction between coworkers. And instead of thinking, oh God, would you guide me as I'm about to guide this conversation, we just enter that conversation as if we don't need God's help. And so it's not the same as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where it's a very purposeful, intentional disobedience. But rather, it's that we haven't truly set our hearts and minds on the things above in the way that Paul talks about earlier in the chapter that Marcio looked at a number of weeks ago. When Paul's talking about setting our hearts and minds on the things above because our lives are now grounded in Christ, it's because not just when we gather on Sundays and not just when we gather as his people in community groups, does God want us to act and look and live as his body gathered. He wants us to do so wherever we are. He wants us to represent Christ in every aspect and avenue of our lives. Now that can be hard. It can be really tough. Pastor Paul's been dealing with Bell Canada. Oh, I didn't mean to say them. Anyway, a company. And in dealing with them, because we sold the building at 383, and we moved over here to 500 James, it has been a nightmare. Their, their conglomerate has a hard time understanding that, though we're still with them. So over the Christmas holidays, while Paul was away on holidays, they called the office. I answered the phone, and I continued to tell them that though my name is on the billing for this thing, I know nothing about it. I don't know what to do with it. And as far as I know, we actually don't owe any money. And it was complicated. And through the entire conversation, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I need to maintain a Christian Christ-like composure because it was just agitating and difficult. You've been there, haven't you? 
I mean, it can happen in subway subs. It can happen at a gas station. It can happen at work. It can happen at school. It can happen wherever it is. And sometimes we act as if in the other venues of our lives that are quote-unquote Christian, when we show up at church and show up at community group, of course, we should be delving into the Word. Of course, we should be praying. Of course, our minds and our hearts should be set on the things above. But they should be set on the things above wherever we are. Wherever we are. So Paul reminds his people, going through this chapter, firstly, by reminding them that they're to set our hearts and things above. He then says, and this is how you're not to act. These are the things that are to not characterize you. And then last week I looked at, and what is to characterize you? That we're to be a people of compassion and gentleness, humility, kindness, and patience. That we're to put up with each other, to actually bear with each other, and we're to forgive each other, and we're to forgive just as the Lord forgave. Our forgiveness is to be as comprehensive as His. And then, that we're to love each other supremely. So then in verse 15 to 17, the Word of God records these words. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. And let the message or word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. In verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, Now, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ that comes from God the Father to us, allowing us to be reconciled. This is the reconciling peace of Christ that allows us now to be in relationship with God. That relationship was torn. That relationship was shattered. Because of our sin, our choosing to rebel against God, it shattered our relationship with Him. And by way of Christ and what he has accomplished on the cross and taking our sin upon himself and dying in our stead, and because three days later he was found innocent and raised to life again as King of kings and Lord of lords, Christ brings peace. The hostility we had with God. That's why Scripture called us at one time, while you were his enemies, Christ died for us. The animosity that was there the tension we experience, the void in our lives of us never unable to be able to get to God, unable to do so, has now been bridged by Christ and his work. And Paul says, so let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the ruling factor, let the guiding principle of your heart, and the heart, of course, being the seat of all of the emotions, let your emotions be ruled by peace. Let your emotions be ruled by peace. The fact, the truth, that you now are reconciled with God by Christ in the Spirit. Now note, it's not just about our relationship with God. He then says this, since as members of the body, you are called to peace. This isn't just about our relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. He says this is about the outworking of that into your relationships with each other. He says not only should peace rule in your hearts in your relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but peace should rule among you. 
Peace should be what characterizes you as a people. Peace should characterize you. We've all been in places, school, work, neighborhoods, wherever it would be, where it's not very peaceful. Some people have trying relationships with the neighbors around them. They're incredibly difficult. I mean, a number of months ago, I shared some of those stories where I had looked up stories where neighbors were violently at each other's throats, literally. Police being called, tickets being issued, fences being painted, things being torn down, cars being marked, video cameras being set up. Now, some of us never get to that extreme. But all of us know what it's like to have hostility, and there's hostility all around us. Hostility in the workplace. I mean, what does a boss do when there's hostility? We don't aim for peace typically. We just fire the people. We let them go. There's hostility all around us. Right now, there's tensions all around us surviving, surrounding COVID and protocols and what it looks like to follow them and when do you follow them. And Paul says, let peace characterize my body. When the world looks at us, they should say, you have every right to be angry at him. You have every right to be upset with her. You have every right. But because you've forgiven them completely in Christ, because love is what has characterized the people of God, because you've put on the characteristics of compassion and kindness and gentleness, humility and patience, there's a peace that exists among God's people that I can't find anywhere else. There's a peace that characterizes God's people that doesn't seem to exist anywhere. And the world should see us and see a peace that they cannot comprehend or understand because it's a God-given gift. It's spirit-given. It's what God allows for. And so can you think of situations, even at James North Baptist, where the love you should have for someone has waned because you haven't truly forgiven them for something that has occurred or happened, and so you're not being characterized by compassion, humility, gentleness, patience, and kindness. And peace isn't characterizing our church. Let peace characterize the way we interact with each other. Oh, and be thankful. And be thankful. Thankful for what? Th thankful for the work that God's done in our life. Thankful for his reconciling work. Thankful that God saved us. Thankful that God chose to grab a hold of our lives. And thankful that he's granted us each other. Thankful that he allows this place to be a place that is so uniquely different from any work environment. So uniquely different from any school environment. So uniquely different from any hobby I'm a part of. So uniquely different from any sport I play. So uniquely different from any other committee I sit on. So uniquely different than any board I want to be a part of. That this place is so characterized by God and his redeeming work, his kingdom principles. Your kingdom come. That's the Lord's prayer, right? God, may your kingdom come. May the very way we will live one day with you in glory, may it come here now, God. May these principles, may these characteristics that we know we will enjoy for all of eternity, may they be established now. Here, God. And be thankful. Be thankful that the way we will one day live for all of eternity begins its its. It's, 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 it's inaugurated right now in this moment. So then let the word of Christ or the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs for the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude 
in your hearts. So let the message of Christ, the great message of Christ, the word of Christ, let what Christ has declared in all that he is, that he has a purpose for us, that he is redeeming us, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Let the word of Christ, the message of Christ, let the gospel dwell in you richly. Dwell. The term dwell is a strong word. It means to reside. It means to linger. It actually means to feel at home. Let the word of Christ, the message of Christ, dwell among you. Let it have its way. Let it feel at home. We've all been places where we have gone to visit, and at times you get there and you're like, I don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel like I fit. I don't, I don't feel like I should be here. Sometimes it's been at friends' homes. If you're younger growing up, you go to a friend's house and you're there and you're hanging out, and the parents of that home don't make you feel like you should be there. Don't make you feel like you fit. Don't make you feel like you belong. Don't make you feel like you could dwell. The idea of the term dwell is actually to be able to kick your feet back in the lazy boy of life and feel like, oh, I'm here. It's like the father's chair. Some of us grew up in a home where dad had a specific chair that he loved to sit in. And dad just loved to dwell in that chair. It was his chair to read in or his chair to sleep in or his chair to, 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 to look at the paper in and he would just dwell in that chair. That's the idea here. Let the word of Christ dwell. And we've all been in homes where, you know, and I can think of this growing up specifically in, in one situation where the parents of that home, were, they went to every extent whenever you went there or stayed over to, to make you feel at home. They'd say, hey, you know, I remember they had a microwave before my family had a microwave. They had a, they had a fair bit of money, and, and they were like, you know, let, let's show you how to use a microwave. I realize that dates me when someone's showing me how to use a microwave. Most of you are like, what? How? Right? I, I remember when they, they got a computer before my family got a computer. Let's show you how to use a computer. Let's, you know, I remember they would say, if I was over for dinner, go to the fridge and get some stuff out. And you could just dig through the fridge. You'll find it. And they wanted you to feel at home. They wanted you to feel like you were part of the family when you were there, like you belonged. And so if you ever wanted a drink, they were like, just go to the fridge and get a drink. You don't have to ask. If you're thirsty, just get one. Our kids don't ask for a drink. They just go and get one. And you felt at home. And this is the idea here. Let the word of Christ feel at home among us. It dwells among us. Let the word of Christ dwell among us richly. That what the word is saying, the message of Christ, that what he has declared, he feels at home here. There's nothing that Christ has said that's foreign to James North Baptist Church. It's part of who we are to the very fabric of our being. And it dwells among us richly. How does it do so? It tells us. As you teach and admonish one another, in the way that you teach, that could be this morning when we gather, now through various homes, when we gather in community groups. But it's way beyond that. It's also, also when we meet with people for coffee. It's when we go out with others and play hockey. It's when we gather for hobby and just are enjoying other believers' company. This isn't just about James North. This is when you're at work and there's other believers at work. The word of Christ there should dwell among you richly as you teach it and moss each other, even at work, even at school. It's teaching, instructing, that's showing a greater understanding of how to understand the word and apply it to our lives. And it's admonishing. Admonishing is the encouragement to live out the way God has called us to live. We do it with wisdom. That means we need to be careful in the way that we teach and admonish. Sometimes I can be abrupt in the way that I teach or admonish. I can offer a strong prophetic word that can rub someone the wrong way. Paul here says, 
You make sure that you do that wisely. You want to be gathering people in, not pushing people out. And you also do so through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. People would argue, is this psalm talking about the Psalter? It's unknown here. It's not, it's not titled in that way. Most likely it is referencing that, but it also could be speaking of psalms that were being written in that day, hymns, spiritual songs. Paul here isn't delineating between these three things. He's saying that as you gather and you're being taught and admonished, make sure that when you're with other believers and you're being taught and admonished, that the message of Christ is clear through your teaching and admonishing. And it's done wisely. And as you gather and you sing either psalms, hymns, or spiritual songs, probably a combination of all three, that are done in the Spirit as God's Spirit who has now claimed you and lives in you leads you, make sure that they're all aligned the Word of Christ or the message of Christ. Make sure that everything you say and everything you sing is aligned to the Word of Christ, to the message of Christ. And so that's why we need to be so careful about not only what I'm teaching or others are teaching in community groups or what we're saying that the Word says as we gather to give each other advice, but also when we gather to sing together, that we make sure that the lyrics of what we're singing is aligned to the Word of God and the message of Christ. And no, again, we do so with gratitude in our hearts. We're thankful in verse 15 for the peace of Christ that rules. We're thankful in verse 16 for the way that we're able to declare the mystery and message of Christ. We do so with gratitude. Our singing should be done joyfully, with rejoicing. This is what Christ has done in me, and I sing, I celebrate what he's done. I hear the word of God, and it should be heard with a gratitude in my heart. Oh, this is God's word. This is God's kingdom come. This is how he should have me or would have me live. And this goes beyond our gatherings on Sunday. Let me explain. I remember a number of years ago, a young group from our church went camping together, five couples. They went camping together, came back, talked about this great weekend they had. I remember sitting with them afterwards. They were part of a community group that Amy and I were running, and we were talking to them about it, and they were talking about the great weekend they had, what it looked like, blah, 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 what it was about. And I said to them, hey, like, when you guys were together on on Sunday, did you guys gather at all? Like, did you, did someone prepare a little devotional? Did you sing together? Did you pray? And they looked at me and they were like, nope. And I said, does it not strike you odd that when you guys come and talk about the great time you had together, and you talk about, I don't remember the details right now, but canoeing and kayaking and fishing and swimming and all the stuff that you guys did and the food that you ate, that it was void of Christian things in the sense of the word of God and song. That there was truly no teaching, admonishing, or other. I mean, can you guys think back over the weekend? And they weren't encouraging each other to sin in any way. They had gone camping, and in going camping, somehow they had compartmentalized that these were just a group of friends going camping, rather, and over against a group of God's redeemed people that are celebrating friendship together that has been brought together because of the kingdom of God. It really struck them. They went camping the next year. They had a full devotional itinerary for the weekend. What they were doing at each campfire songs they would be singing Sunday morning. I mean, and that wasn't what I was after. Interestingly enough, I was in conversation with a young person from our church again recently. 
we're talking about it, and there's three or four Christian young men from our church hanging out with three or four non-Christian friends. In fact, at times, the Christians outnumber the non-Christians. And I said to the young man, I said, do you guys ever think about, have, have, the, have the three of you ever sat down and thought about what your witness among them could be look like? Have you ever prayed for them? Have you ever, like, you kind of dropped off the non-Christian guys and then the three of you as you're driving home just pray together for them? Pray for their salvation. Ask God to work in them. I mean, when you're coming back from playing hockey or going out to get some food or doing whatever you're doing, playing basketball, have you ever just thought through what it would look like at the end if you guys were just in prayer for them, if you guys were just thinking about it? He looked at me and said, no. We've never talked about it. We've never thought about that. That, that's what Paul's talking about here is God's people gather. It's not just a Sunday morning gathering. It's not just a, a, a gathering in community groups. It's whenever you find yourselves present with God's people, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and teach and admonish each other with wisdom as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. That's what he's talking about. That whenever we find ourselves with God's people, I'm not asking you to go to work tomorrow morning and gather the Christians around and say, hey, right here in the middle of the office, we should just pray so everybody can hear us. But I am saying that when you gather at work and you know there's other believers there, there's nothing wrong with saying to another believer, I'm going to be praying for you. There's nothing wrong with even inviting them into your office space for a moment to pray wisely, to admonish them with the word of God on a lunch hour to encourage them in their faith. It should be happening in all kinds of things. I remember years ago, a, a group of men from our church were playing hockey together, and they'd play hockey together uh, every week, and they'd often go out for food after. And I said to them, you know, what would it look like? I remember just, just challenging to this. If at the end of that night, and it's a long time, time in terms of they were exhausted, they played hockey, they have food. You know, what if there was a devotional when they gathered for food? What if there was a prayer time? I said, at least allow the conversation when you're spending that much time together once a week to flow about the kingdom of God, to be expressed about who he is and what he's done. And note, it's done in the Spirit. These songs and hymns and spiritual songs as we sing, they, they come from the Spirit, and so we come to God with gratitude, with our hearts set on him. And whatever you do, verse 17, whether it's in word or deed, do all of it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do at home, at school, at work, at hobby, hockey, play, camping, whatever you do, whether it's in word, what you say or deed, what you do, word, what you text, what you send on Snapchat, what you put on Instagram, what you post on Facebook, whatever you do, whether in word, a text that you send, something that you say over the phone, a conversation you have with someone. Whatever you do, whether it be word or deed, whatever you say, whatever you do, in the way that you act at work, in the way that you accomplish the tasks that are going on at school, do all of it in the name of the Lord Jesus All of it in the name of Christ. Your whole life, there's no compartmentalizing. All of it is done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jamie, you guys can go up. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Why? Because all of a sudden you realize that what Christ has done in saving you is he's granted you a glimpse of the kingdom now. 
He saved you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so he calls you to set your hearts and your minds on the things above. And in doing so, he tells you to take off, to put off certain characteristics of the world that we're no longer to live by. Derek talked about this, whether it be sexual immorality or whether it be areas of anger and impatience. He said, set apart, take off those things and put on compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience. Put on humility. Forgive each other. Allowing love to be that which presides over all of it. Oh, let peace rule and characterize the kingdom of God. Let the word of Christ be what guides you in every conversation as you teach, admonish, and in every song as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks, being thankful, giving thanks. That theme running through here at the end, why? Because God has granted us a glimpse of his kingdom, his kingdom come. Is that not great news? God is allowing us to experience a glimpse, a taste of what we will enjoy now forever. One of the things I love to do when Amy or my kids are cooking, Abby made this incredible dessert the other night. And one of the things I love to do is I love to taste the batter. Some people think it's disgusting, but I love, I love the taste of batter. I love raw pie dough. I love raw cookie dough. Like, I just love it. And I know that if that tastes good, that what's coming is going to be even better. I mean, I love to try the, you know, take just a spoonful, sometimes more than a spoonful, of chocolate chip cookie dough. I'm like, oh, this tastes so good. I can't wait until what is coming out of the oven is being able to be eaten. And that's the idea here. We get a taste now of what the kingdom is like for all of eternity. This taste isn't just about us. It's about how we live in community with each other. And one day we will get to enjoy a place where love will reign, where hope will be realized, where faith will be sight. One day we will enjoy a place where there'll be no disease, there'll be no death, there'll be no sin, there'll be nothing to put off. Is that not great news? There'll be no temptation, it will be gone. One day we will be in a place where we will be perfectly reconciled with each other, where there'll be no need to forgive anyone else because the forgiveness of Christ will have reigned and destroyed all sin. One day we will be in that place where Christ and his word will be its centerpiece for all all of eternity, and until we get there that day, we're thankful that here on this plane, we get a taste of it. We get to enjoy it, longing for the day when it comes to fruition and fullness. Would you pray with me? These words are rich, and God, we are thankful. We are thankful for your work in our lives that grant us peace. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us. We're thankful for the word, the message of Christ that we can teach and admonish each other with. We're thankful that we have the privilege of being able to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that are granted to us by the Spirit. And we do so with gratitude in our hearts. Oh, may we be a people who whatever we do, whether it's in word or deed, do all of it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we always continually give thanks for this taste of the kingdom now and the fullness of the kingdom coming. May we always give thanks to God the Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.